Hey everybody, we have with us today a New York native, former Wimbledon Junior Singles Champion and USTA Kalamazoo Champ in both singles and doubles. He's currently just under 150 in the world, and along with playing on tour, this guest has been busy with the creation of his new project, Behind the Racket, which we will get into a bit later. Please welcome to the pod, Noah Rubin. Noah, thank you for spending some time walking us through your tennis journey today. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So before we kind of get get started with your story, give us a quick uh, status of where you're at right now. Yeah, so kind of just finished the hardcore season. Uh, Miami was the last tournament, and then from there, I am you know now in Orlando training on the red clay that they have here to get ready for my first clay court event of the season, which will be in Houston. So I'm I'm really excited. How are those courts compared? I know the red clay in, in Orlando or Lake Nona are those uh, somewhat comparable to Houston. I know you've had. Some issues with that clay in Houston before. <laughs> freak injury. Yeah, kind of a freak injury. Um, hopefully they've uh, redone the courts since then. Actually, the courts in Orlando, they're, they're, you know, they're doing pretty well right now. They've, they've worked hard on them since last year. And, you know, just it's nice to have six courts to play on whenever you want. So it's been great. Got it. So good luck um, heading over. And then I assume after Houston, you're going to eventually go over to Europe, right? Yes, actually, you know, I believe that instead of playing the Florida tournaments that I usually do, I'm going to go to Barcelona, which is really exciting. And those are, I've heard, are amazing tennis tournaments to play. So Awesome, awesome. Okay, so as we do with, you know, most every, all of our guests, give us a little bit of background, um, how you got started in the sport. Your parents played, siblings... Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a true family sport. Uh, my grandfather was walking across the tennis course one day, and he's like, I have to learn how to play this sport. And then he taught my father, and then my father taught, you know, my sister and I. And it's been, you know, in our family forever. And my mom is a part of it, whether working at clubs or going to tournaments. So it's just something I started when I was about a year and a half years old. And I'll send you that picture. I have a picture of me in a diaper hitting a ball hung from a string. A year Um, and a half. (laughs) So that's, you know, it's just something that I've always loved and, you know, I played a few other sports, but tennis was my one true passion. Was it the uh, like the independent one on one? It's you know, it's all on you type of thing that really was kind of addicting. Yeah, I'm an extremely independent person. You guys, my parents, and just to have the pressure on me, but also have the victories all on me. It was kind of a selfish thing as well, and just this idea that I get to run around as much as I can, which uh, if you've ever seen any of my matches, I do enjoy doing from yes. time to time. Well, so. Yeah, and you've actually run out of your shoes uh, a couple times, and we'll talk about that later as well. Um. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do, I've made a name for myself in that regard, so it's just, you know, it's something I, I love to do, and, you know, there's ups and downs, but for the most part, this is uh, a dream come true for me. Oh, so, so cool. So let's kind of talk a little bit about a few of your junior highlights um, before you made the decision to go pro. Um, 2014, you had an unbelievable summer. And I know I'm, I know I'm skipping a lot of your highlights, but just, you know, for, for I don't want to take up your, two, your time and we're going to hit on, um, you know, that, that incredible summer in 2014. You wound up winning junior Wimbledon. And what I don't know if everyone realizes is that I think your ranking or something was high enough to get you into the qualifying draw of the junior tournament, not even the main draw. Is that true? Right. So they had rules in the ITF that it kind of promoted playing professional tennis. And, you know, if you had a high enough professional ranking, um, they would designate a few spots in the qualifying, like a few spots in the main draw. 
that would allow you to play the slams while also playing futures or challengers at the time. Um, so I was fortunate enough to have, you know, somewhere around 500, 550 ranking, you know, when I was 17 or something, just starting out. And because I really didn't have an ICF ranking, I wasn't playing them anymore. And then I was told, let's, let's go play, um, let's go play the slams. My dad's like, let's just go. We'll go, you know, a day before the qualifiable and then we'll just go have fun. It would be great. And then obviously they led into something that was a little more special <laughs> and, 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 you know, memorable than, you know, what we're making it out to be. But right. it, was, it was just an incredible journey. So I mean, before we kind of get into details on that now, grass, had you had a lot of experience? I mean, I don't think a lot of juniors have a ton of experience playing on grass. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, play ICS from a pretty early age. So, um, you know, my highest rank was six in the world, but that was, I believe, when I was 15 years old. So I was playing from an earlier age. Right. And so I was actually, I believe, I want to say 0 and 3 at Wimbledon before <laughs> winning it, or at least 0 and 2. I think 0 and 3, though. Okay. Um, so I didn't win a match at Wimbledon until I won it. <laughs> so, and, and the guys you beat, I mean, obviously, this is Wimbledon. This is not a junior. This is not Kalamazoo. These are international competition you're playing, and yet you beat basically every good American player. <laughs> right. This was like a secondary Kalamazoo for me. Um, you know, I, I had, you know, I, there was a mixture. So I played Francis, and then I played a non-American, which I was supposed to play Rublev, but he lost. And then I played Fritz, and then I played Stefan. So Got it was just... Yeah, it was basically an American matchup, which, you know, is good and bad. I mean, it's kind of fun to get that rivalry between friends, but not always easy. Definitely not easy, especially in the finals. Right. So, okay, so you do that. You, you go in basically no expectations, you know, at least from the outside. I'm sure you had your own expectations, obviously. But, I mean, look, you got to qualify. You qualify, you wind up winning the whole thing. Now you're rocking and rolling. You continue that in 2014, later, a couple months later, in Kalamazoo. Um, and for those that don't know, if you win in singles and doubles at Kalamazoo, you get a main draw into New York. So what do you do in Kalamazoo? You sweep singles and doubles, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and I was pretty, I was feeling fairly confident. I was having a, a good summer with my father. You know, I wasn't really putting that much pressure on myself. I was just playing and enjoying. And yeah, I mean, I went to Kalamazoo again, playing some real good players and and again, and to win it in doubles, which, you know, yeah, I, I guess I, I have won a challenger, but I don't have that much success, and, and people don't know me as a doubles player, so it was an incredible summer for me all around, and, and Kalamazoo brings its own pressures. I mean, if you ask anybody, they'll say they'll feel more pressure at Kalamazoo than they did at the Slams, at the right. Junior Slams. It's just, you know, Americans know this tournament. It's a huge draw. You're playing people you don't know people that don't play ITFs, people that didn't really make it, you know, and they give you a run for your money, and sometimes they beat you. It's just how it goes at Kalamazoo. Anything can happen. So it's, uh, there's a lot of emotions that run through, um, and that was a crazy summer. <laughs> best, best tournament in the U.S. by far. I've been fortunate to have a couple kids who I've coached who've gotten to play in that field, and um, I attended that tournament for a few years, and it is by far, in my opinion, the best tournament in the, in the country. Um, oh, that's great. The blueberries and cream. Yeah. <laughs> so f you win that, you now get a main draw entry into New York. Now, this would be incredible for anybody in the country. But here you are. You are a New York native. Um, you've, <laughs> you've attended the U.S. Open as a kid several times. 
This ain't. This isn't. Uh, this isn't fun and games anymore. This is the real deal. You've just qualified into the U.S. Open. Now, how many friends and family did you have at your first match? Oh God. So, unfortunately, you know, I haven't had great luck with getting good courts all the time at the U.S. Open. Shockingly, and so they'll have like ten rows of standing room. And they're just people on top of each other trying to get through. And it could be, you know, 3,000, 4,000 friends and family. And, you know, I'd make a joke that my third grade math, math teacher was there. That whole thing. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I played juniors before there and then played qualifying as well before, you know, getting this opportunity to play the main draw. And it was just a whole nother beast. I mean, I to this day, I still, you know, at times struggle with the pressures that come with playing in front of a home crowd. And, you know, I've done well across the world, you know, right. people aren't there that I know. I like playing in front of people, but playing, you know, in front of a thousand people you know compared to 15,000 people you don't, it's a, it's a different beast. Different and, element, totally different yeah. element. And, you know, I got on the court against Del Bonus and totally freaked out. I mean, that was the first time that I remember that I could barely breathe on the court. Um, and, you know, not a cold day. As, as you may know, a, a summer in New York can be brutal. Right. Um, so you combine all of that. And I was, like, asking the chair umpire, I was like, how do I get out of here? Because um, I, I could barely breathe, could barely walk. I think the last set was 6-0. It was uh, not a great performance. And it was disappointing, but still a memory that I'll have forever. You know, my first time playing main draw of the US Open. No um, doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And understandably so. I mean, again, just because you're from there, you grew up there, like like you said, it's a, it's a different, it just adds a different element that a first-time uh, first US Open main draw participant will have to deal with. And um, right. still, such a, such a cool experience for you. So, moving on now, you attended Wake Forest for one year, had an incredible freshman year, All-American runner-up NCAAs. You know, with your success in the juniors, was this was college always part of the plan, at least to go for, for a year? Or was this, you know, some serious conversations you had with the people around you saying, hey, do I go pro right away? Do I attend college for at least a little bit, see how I do there? Yeah, this was, you know, I always had a dream to go to school, um, to play for school. You know, obviously, as I started to have more success on the junior tour and, you know, seeing what these other players were doing. It, it, it was a real conversation. It was a true conversation. And I made the decision in between Wimbledon and Kalamazoo. And I remember being on this boat and making the phone call, one, to say no to UVA, and two, to say yes to Tony Prescott Wake Forest. And it was a tremendous decision, one, to go to school, and two, to go to a school that wasn't the best school in the country. Um, and, you know, I was talking to my, my mom's a teacher, so obviously she wanted me to have kind of a, you know, not put my all, my eggs in one basket kind of thing. And, and my father thought it was a, you know, a good route, you know, to have at least a year under my belt to see, you know, just to make sure that at every level I'm succeeding and pushing through, you know, it right. was just, you know, it was important to us to see that, you know, there wasn't anything lacking in any area. Um, in any division and you know and we you know soon found that out and I don't regret going to school at all I, I you know for some people I would say maybe not go to school for others I wouldn't force them to you know reinforce the idea of, of college but for me it was it was a fun year I'm part of the family now um, they're doing great I think I yeah, they are program to to get to the next level which is always you know a, a great feeling to have 
and that's it. And now I'm part of the family, so it's great. Look, I and I did, and I talked about this with Michael Russell when I had him on this podcast. You know, he went for a year, and and me just as a coach, obviously not at not at the level that you or Michael are, but to not skip a step just go to every step and see if you're successful and if you are then move on to the next one because you know what if you go to college and you don't dominate well guess what that that's a measuring stick and that shows you that you're not ready and like you said you go for a year you were tremendously successful what are you 19 tops when you're done i mean i just think like it it doesn't hurt and like exactly what you said it shows you that you will be successful at every step along the way no 100 percent and you know, I've, I've seen it more than enough times where, you know, people are, you know, raving about some of these players. And they're like, you know, they're questioning whether they should go pro school. And then they get to school and, you know, they're 4-2 you know, to start. And, you know, and they have a few losses here and there and more than a few. And it's like, you know what, maybe that, you know, you have to, you have to get through this level. You maybe have to, you know, notch your game up a little bit to get to that pro level. So it's I think it's a great stepping stone. Um, you know, some players may get lost within the system of, uh, of university and, and maybe lose the motivation a little bit. I think that's only one of the problems that can come from school. But if you have the right, you know, guidance, I, I think it could be great. I absolutely agree. Um, thank you for sharing that. So I want to talk about one of your, uh, your highlights in your pro career. And it was the 2017 Australian Open versus Roger Federer in the second round. Um, I believe that, correct me if I'm wrong, that was probably the first time you had faced Roger in a match? Yes, actually, first time I interacted with him. Okay. That was kind of the biggest deal was, you know, I interacted with a lot of the other pros, whether through exhibitions or practices, but never was on the court with Roger Federer. Okay, so this was a tight match. I mean, for the, the, the viewers, um, Roger won 7-5-6-3-7-6, and... Obviously, you can you can talk about you know forehands, first serve percentage, whatever it is. But what I'm kind of interested in, as you said, this was the first time you ever interacted with him. Can you give us a little insight of what it's like when, okay, you got through your first round and now you play Roger? Do you try to put blinders on and be like, okay, I'm facing another tennis player. I don't want to see his face across the net. Um, what is the prep work like that, and what are you going through mentally to try to? prepare um when you play an opponent like that yeah for me you know in the world of tennis when i'm playing my best i'm enjoying myself and at a tournament like this it was kind of the perfect setup um you know i that was the first tournament i actually qualified for a grand slam on my own which is three extremely tough matches playing a top 100 player to get in and then well i don't want to say this too loudly because i'm actually in the house of bjorn fatangelo but i played bjorn (laughs) first round um and we had a incredible five-set match that I prevailed in. And then I got to play Roger Federer in the second round. So it's a combination of here I've won four matches. Mm-hmm. I've won my second main draw of the slam. I qualified for the first time. Like This is a pretty good tournament, whether I lose 0-0-0 to Federer, which I obviously don't want to. I'm, I'm competitive and I want, to, I want to beat him. But here's a great tournament that I've had. Let's enjoy this. Let's go out. Let's just play tennis. And I think... Yeah, there were some times where I was definitely nervous and stuff like that, but I played my tennis, I was excited to be out there. Um, was it weird going up for the coin toss and looking at what I thought was a hologram of Roger Federer? Yeah. I mean, here's a guy who has a completely different aura about him than the top guys. I mean, yeah, Nadal's great, Djokovic is great, Murray's great. There's something about Federer, he puts that headband on, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this 
this is insane. I mean, this is Roger Federer. This is the icon of the sport, the greatest player of all time. And there's something about, you know, being on that other side, facing him and him wanting to kick your ass, kind of. Excuse my language, but... It's all good. It (laughs) It was just that feeling, and it was amazing. And, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me was I went up a break in the third set. I was up 3-0, and I said, come on, um, when I won the 3-0 game. And then he looked at me from 3-0 on, from the point I said, come on, through the whole changeover, he's staring at me. And, <laughs> and that's just fun for me. I, I made Roger Federer upset. And like that's like kind of the New Yorker in me, you know, always kind of starting trouble, pushing it a little bit. But it was incredible to get that emotion out of Roger. And, you know, after the match, I, I sadly gave up, I want to say two, maybe three set points in the third set. Um, you know, after I said, you know, it was an honor to be on the court with him, and he congratulated me and had some pretty nice things to say in the press conference, which was nice. And yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. So. Unbelievable experience. I can't, like you said, like you're there, or you're right across from the coin toss. You've never hit a ball with him before. You've never interacted with him. I'm thinking, okay, now you guys go back to the baseline and you start your warm up. That's the very first time you've ever hit a tennis ball with Roger Federer. Like, one, how cool is that? And two, this is crazy. Yes. <laughs> a lot of emotions, but, and then, and beyond everything that was part of the tournament, I'm playing on Rod Laver Arena. Right. It's 15,000 people, it's, a, it's an amazing court, you know, you know, I tell people that one of the greatest experiences of my life was not playing Roger Federer, it was actually the warm-up prior to Roger Federer, and I'm, a, I'm on the court hitting with Mitchell Kruger, he's warming me up, and my coach at the time was Stanford Buster, with Robert Jeanette, he was there. And there's nobody in the stadium. It is an empty stadium. I put my speakers on, blasting music, and I'm just enjoying the moment prior to the match, like the calm before the storm. And right. That's one that will always stick by me. That was, there was something about that because, you know, during the match, it's kind of a blur at times, you know, with all the emotion. And this was one that I could really swallow um, and, and remember. So that was great. So cool. Thank you for sharing some of that. Um, Kind of like, let's get into what we're, we're, you're probably doing today. Um, a day in the life of. I've asked this of, of a few guys before, and right now you're practicing. You're going to be heading off to Houston soon. Give us like a, a day in the life of Noah Rubin when um, it's an off week and you're just practicing, preparing for a tournament. Yeah, I mean, luckily uh, today's a day, day off. Um, so I just did a little bike workout, stretching, a little yoga, um, get the body loose before starting again tomorrow. But you know, a week, you know, week in, week out, I'm doing about probably three plus hours of tennis with hour and a half, two hours in the gym. Um, and then I have all the warming up, cooling down, prehab, um, rehab, stuff like that, just to get the body in shape. But especially for clay, you really have to get the miles up because some of these matches can, can go the distance. So, uh, no, that's kind of what my week my weeks are looking like and I'm doing this down in Orlando on the red clay so I'm getting you know fully prepared and and, and excited so awesome and then on a match day um, that's a little trickier because this is a sport where unless you're first on you don't exactly know when you're going to be um, your match is going to start and my I would always ask these guys like what do you do about hydration and food because you may think it's a straight set victory then all of a sudden guy comes from behind you're not going three or best of five, you know, whatever it may be. How do you kind of manage that process when, when you're not first on the court? Yeah, very difficult. I mean, there's, 
you know, people, when I say tennis is one of the top sports in the world, there is so much that goes behind that statement. I mean, what other sports do they have the best players in the world not knowing when they're going to step on the court every time? Right. Yeah, if you play a night match and, you know, your first night match, yeah, but there are plenty of times Federer's, let's say, first night match and he has to wait another hour or two right. um, to go on. So, yeah, very tough. You have to plan your meals accordingly. You have to you know, keep up to date with the scores to say, oh, now I have an hour, you know, I have to eat again, or I have to wait to eat a little bit because I have so much time to eat and then have a little snack and then have snacks on the court. You know, there's really no rhyme or reason. You have to do it, you know, for what how your body works and, you know, how you want to maintain, you know, your energy. So not easy at all. Definitely and the warming, yeah, and forget about the food. Yeah, and forget about the food and hydration, about the stretching, the warm-up. Like, you may have to do that multiple times, depending on what's going on for your match. Oh, there are times I've warmed up six times for a match. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. It's, it is, and like you said, it is so challenging, and, and it, it's not just the time on the court. It's the prep work before it. There's so many things that you don't control, and we always talk, um, when I talk to these guys, they always say, hey, the best players control they they control the controllables the best because there are so many factors that they just have no no power over and uh it is a it is a very challenging sport and i know i speak on behalf of everybody that uh has so so much respect for for what you guys are trying to do wow we we appreciate any respect we can get because no it's not easy at all it's not easy okay so now i want to kind of get behind your current project and while obviously your first priority is um playing on tour you've you started this project to my recollection a couple months ago and it's really started to pick up steam and sports illustrated recently just got a hold of it as well it's your project called behind the racket and for those that that don't know noah basically takes a picture of a player with their face behind their racket and the passage it's generally a passage um where it kind of talks about i guess i'd say some sort of adversity now the adversity can have nothing to do with tennis it may it may have something to do with tennis but a lot of times it has nothing to do with tennis but it's a little bit of behind the scenes of what you can um you know find out a little bit more about a player so, if you don't mind, tell us what gave you that idea, and you know, are the players the, the players seem to be really, really receptive of it, and uh, you know, where are you looking to take this? Because this is starting to take off. It's super cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, the start of it, you know, there's a lot that went into it. I mean, I'm one that needs more than just tennis. I mean, I grew up in a family that took me to museums every weekend. You know, I love photography, so I was looking for something that sparked my interest that would you know take some time up because even as a professional player if you're doing everything you can you have a lot of free time and you don't want that to be filled with uh negative thoughts all the time and you want to use it and you don't want to watch netflix all the time so um you know my friend came up to me and he's like Noah, I, I, you know, he's one of my best friends. He's out in the tennis world, and he's like, I keep reading these interviews, and they're boring. You know, a lot, you know, 90% of them, 95%, are just talking about forehands and backhands. He's like, yeah, it's cool to kind of learn a little bit about that, but after a certain point, you want to go deeper. You want to start relating to these players. You want to really know what goes on behind the scenes, what goes on in their heads, what goes on in their families, just stuff that you could really get behind. And, you know, while... You know, continuously thinking about this stuff, I, you know, came across one of my favorite uh, social media pages, which is Humans of New York. And that 
sparked an idea. I was like, how is nobody doing this? How are we not really getting to the nuts and bolts of tennis players? And this is at 3 a.m. because I'm jet lagged from Australia. And there's a billion things going through my head, and I'm just doing everything. Things are coming. The name is coming. I'm going on Instagram. I'm seeing if it's taken. It's not taken. Um, and then within five days from there, of setting up the whole thing, um, I posted my picture. You know, I did mine, which is not too in depth, but just just enough to tell people that you know I'm in this too. Um, let's open up. And Ernesto Escobedo was the first player I did it on and he was extremely open and unguarded and it just went from there and players have gone behind it people have gone behind it they said that it's a way so it's a platform for players to share the story and a fans to be a part of it and relate to it so it's a, it's a combination of bringing awareness to tennis but also breaking that stigma of, uh, of mental health and, and talking about your problems and and I think that's what we need in a competitive sport like tennis that has so many issues and, and obstacles that, you know, sometimes we have to talk to each other. We're the only people that know what we're going through. So let's open up and help each other through these tough times. That's kind of where I'm at. And God, it's, it's been, I've, I've, I've enjoyed it extensively. And, you know, to see these players talk about really tough things, crying in front of me and thanking me for allowing them to open up and giving them this opportunity, it's its remarkable. Super, super cool. And, and I can tell you as a fan, as a coach, someone who loves the sport of tennis, um, I kind of shared with you a little bit uh, of my story when we were kind of prepping for this. Um, it's, it's amazing what you're doing. And I know people love reading these passages. And... Um, Awesome. It's super cool that you came up with this and, and, and keep rocking and rolling with it because uh, people are loving it. Everyone I've talked to and I know everyone that you're talking to uh, is loving the concept. And um, thanks. It's, it's, it's great that you've been doing this. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've tried to do what I can with it, you know, putting in hashtag MyBTR to allow the fans to share their own story. And then also I started this other initiative on top of the project, with it, which is Celebrity BTR and getting, you know, people that are more in the public eye, right. that are not necessarily professional tennis players, um, to give them a chance to open up. So obviously I had Red Foo, yes, uh, <laughs> and then I am going to include, you know, you know, a few times a month or once a month have another person. So I have a few lined up that I've, I've done already. So uh, now that's, that's always fun. Awesome. Hey, um, we've been going just over 25 minutes now, Noah, and I don't want to take up any more of your time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you're one of the most fun players to watch, and we talk about your speed, and I guess, you know, I got to say, it's the NCAA tournament time, so I got to throw this in. You know, Zion Williamson of Duke in this first game against North Carolina, the very first possession of the game, offensive possession of the game, he got hurt. He actually busted through his shoe. If you want to see a funny clip of uh, of Noah, go check out YouTube. 2018 it was the City Open against um, John Isner. Noah won that match, and there was a uh, there was a point there where what you you actually busted through the shoe, right? Yeah, I broke the bottom sole after a few insane slides and a few insane gets, um, like uh, a couple points prior. And yeah, I felt something in my shoe. Looked down, and there's this flipper. And then John. Is captured saying a few words that right. you guys can check out, and it was incredible. It was a really <laughs> funny moment, and um, the best picture is the picture of this woman 
who actually caught my shoe because I threw it into the stand right. and turned the light in her face to have this broken shoe. It's really funny. So, so fun. How, how many pairs do you typically bring with you? I mean, obviously, you don't expect to blow through shoes like this during a match, but how many pairs do you just prep wise? Yeah, I usually only have two pairs. Um, I have one more pair in my locker or something like that. So, uh, and there's been a few times where I don't have another pair in my locker, so I was fortunate to have one and, and get that to finish the match and, and get that win. So Awesome. Thanks, Noah. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck, you know, not only in this season, but in the seasons ahead. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to doing this. No, thank you for having me. Good luck. Bye. That, again, was Noah Rubin, first-class individual. Go check out his project, Behind the Racket. It's on all the social media um, outlets, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And um, hope you enjoyed that conversation, and stay tuned for another guest in the near future. Thank you.